thank you so much for your word and for the revelation of yourself that you have given to us. Lord, we thank you for, for, for faithful shepherds. Lord, for those who are, who are seeking not for glory or, or temporal majesty, but Lord, are seeking the pleasure of your eye and your eye alone. Lord, we thank you uh, for, for allowing the circumstances uh, for Dr. Ewell to be able to be here. Uh, Lord, we thank you for, for bringing about a safe uh, situation for the dykes. And uh, Lord, we thank you for Alyssa's uh, rest and recovery that she is able to experience. And Lord, we do pray that you would allow our hearts to be churned and prepared. Lord, as, uh, as we hear of your word uh, proclaimed uh, by this faithful shepherd, we pray that you would uh, use it to, uh, to minister to our souls, Lord, to, to help, to rebuke, to train, to build us up in righteousness and in the image of Christ as we seek to therefore go out and do the work of the ministry you have called us to over this next week. We pray these things and for your blessing uh, of, of, of your Holy Spirit on the proclamation of, the, of your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, Rocky Point. Whenever I'm preaching somewhere for the first time, I just uh, pause, just bear with me for a moment, look around, see if there's anybody I know. Is there anybody I know out there? Other than Jeff and Dalen, of course. No one else? I don't have my glasses on, so halfway back, it gets a little blurry. All right, well, I feel like I should know some of you. I pastored for 11 years in the booming metropolis of Glenrose, just down the highway, 11 years. And uh, monthly, a group of pastors, we used to get together, uh, Joel Kinberg, who's up in Weatherford, Paul Duncan in Mambrino, Terry Enns in Granbury, and Ed Hines came along for four or five years. Every month, we get together to pray, mostly to eat tacos, but to pray and to converse and to encourage one another. So I feel like I have a connection to this place and really do feel like I should have met some of you at some point. Have any of you done the biblical counseling training? There you go. I maybe have met or seen some of you at those sessions, either at Grace Bible Church in Granbury or up in, up in Fort Worth. But it's great to be here. And what a wonderful privilege to open God's Word with you. Eleven years in Glenrose, and then in the summer of 2019, um, you've probably picked up by now from my accent that I'm not from around these here parts. Uh, in the summer of 2019, we went back home to Canada, and I served as the provost at a Bible college and seminary near Toronto. And then just in May, we moved back. The start of May, moved back to Texas and living in Granbury, and I now serve full-time as a professor at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. So we're back in the area and are thrilled to be back in Texas, thrilled to be a part of what the Lord is doing at that institution in Fort Worth. For our purposes this morning, 
I invite you, encourage you to take God's Word and turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Nothing complicated, I promise you. I am going to keep it simple. I am going to proclaim what I trust will be the obvious this day. You've heard of Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson, right? There's a story, purely fictional, of Dr. Holmes and uh, Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson camping in a tent. And apparently, Holmes woke up Watson in the middle of the night and pointed up at the stars. And Watson blinked the sleep from his eyes as Holmes asked what he deduced. Watson replied, well, astronomically, I deduce there are millions of galaxies and potentially billions of planets. Astrologically, I deduce that Saturn is in Leo. Meteorologically, I deduce that we will have a beautiful day tomorrow. What about you, Holmes? What do you deduce? Watson said, Holmes, slowly, I deduce that someone has stolen our tent. Some of you don't get it. I can tell by the looks on your faces. I'm making a mental note. I'm going to have words with you later. Don't miss the blatantly obvious, right? That's the point of the story. And I fear sometimes as believers we do precisely that. We get caught up with all sorts of things and our attention arrested and grabbed by all sorts of things, all the while failing to give focus, due focus, failing to give due attention to the blatantly obvious. And so that is my intention as we continue to worship together this morning. So to that end, follow along as I begin reading in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked men and evil men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things the weak man. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. There's our text. It's the fifth verse. Just this tiny, itty-bitty prayer tucked away in 2 Thessalonians. Hear it again. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Now, just pause for a moment, ponder, think. What might that have meant to the church at Thessalonica? You go back into the first chapter, and we discover that this is an afflicted church. This is a church going through the fires, the furnace of persecution. They're being hounded by their fellow countrymen, the Jews. They have now caught the attention, perhaps, of the Roman authorities, the civil authorities, and they are being persecuted. They are being hounded. They are the objects of opposition, extreme affliction. Oh, what must this prayer must have meant to them? May the Lord 
direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. You go back into the second chapter and you'll discover that not only is this an afflicted church, it is an alarmed church. Why? Some of their number are running around declaring the day of the Lord. It's already happened. The day of the Lord, it's come and gone. The last days, we missed them. I don't know what happened. And the church is in a frenzied state, in an apoplectic condition. People are wondering what's going on. People are wondering how they could have allegedly missed the day of the Lord. Too many of them were spending too much time on social media, listening to all the conspiracy theories, and they had themselves just worked up into this angst. Oh, what this prayer must have meant to them. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Well, here we are, fast forward 2,000 years later. Oh, what this prayer, I trust, means to some of us gathered here this day. I don't know you. I have absolutely no idea how your day is going. No idea how the past week has been. What's been happening in the past month? What the past year has meant for you? But I trust by God's Spirit that this simple prayer will come alive and that by means of this simple prayer, the Spirit of God will indeed speak and minister to our hearts, each of us this day. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. All right? So there's our text. It's obvious why we need it. So how are we going to handle it? Five observations, blatantly obvious. Five obvious observations. If you're a note taker, just write down one, two, three, four, five. All right, and then fill in the blanks. Here we go. Observation number one. The heart is important. Evidently so. Paul prays, may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. There's observation number one. The heart is important. Solomon tells us, Proverbs 4, 23. Have you memorized that one? I'm sure many of you have. Proverbs 4, 23. Keep watch. Keep vigilance over your what? Heart. For from it flow the springs of life. Keep watch over your heart, the seat of your personality, your mind and will, the intellectual life and the volitional life. Keep watch, keep guard, keep vigilance over your heart. I don't know about Stephenville, garbage day, trash day, Thursday morning up there in Granbury. And so on Wednesday night, when my wife Allison, of course, reminds me, what do I do? I open up that garage door and I haul those trash cans to the end of the driveway. Guess what I don't do? I don't then pull up a lawn chair, sit down beside those trash bins and keep watch over them. Why don't I do that? They're dead to me. They're useless. They're worthless. They're going out. We only watch over things that are of value. 
We only pay attention to things which are of worth. We only keep vigilance, watch over those things which are precious. And so Solomon exhorts us to keep watch over our hearts, for from our hearts flow the springs of life. Your heart will determine the entire trajectory of your life. It is that simple, folks. Our hearts will set the course of our lives. From our heart flows the springs of life. We've all seen a spring. We all know what that's about. There's an opening in the ground, water just below the surface. The water comes out of that opening and perhaps it forms a pond or a small lake or it forms a creek, brook, river, whatever you want to call it. What happens if you plug the spring? That pond, that brook soon dry up, don't they? What happens if you poison the spring? That lake, that river becomes what? Poison. Whatever happens at the spring determines what happens downstream or in that body of water that is accumulated around the spring. That is Solomon's point, and we dare not miss it. We must keep watch over our hearts because our hearts are determinative. From the heart flow the springs of life. All right, friends, that was observation number one. Did you get it? Okay, check it off. Observation number two. Here we go. Obviously, our hearts need direction. Observation number two. Where do I get that from? We'll look at the prayer. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. May the Lord direct. It's not the idea of meeting someone on the road looking for directions to Fort Worth and pointing the way to go, which highway, which road to take. That's not the idea here. To direct, the original word much stronger than that, it is to remove obstacles and impediments out of the way. It is to direct something, to take something, get something from point A to point B. And Paul's prayer is, may the Lord direct us like that. May the Lord direct our hearts. The inference is obvious. Obviously what? Our hearts therefore need direction. And why is it that our hearts so desperately need direction? Well, here's a text you probably don't want to hear, but you're going to hear it anyway. Jeremiah 17.9, what do we read in God's Word? Jeremiah 17.9, the heart is what? Deceitful, above all things. It gets worse. And desperately, sick. You didn't come here this morning expecting to hear that, maybe, or certainly not wanting to hear that. It's not very encouraging. It's not very uplifting. But there we come face to face with the human predicament, do we not? That our heart, mind, and will, all that we are, the very seat of our personality, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Break it down into two sections. They're there. Start with the second one. The heart is desperately sick. Why is it desperately sick? Because when Adam and Eve fell from God, 
what did they fall to? Love of self. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God, rather than being lovers of God, what did they become? Lovers of self. And what became their basic operating system and what has been every human being's basic operating system ever since the fall? We are lovers of self. Put it in slightly different terms. We are self-aholic. That is the great human predicament. We are lovers of self rather than lovers of God. And because we are lovers of self, that self-love taints and corrupts every thought we think, every word we speak, and every deed we perform. We have a basic operating system. We are inclined a certain way, and it is to self-adulation self-emulation, self-love. And so there you are out on the 205, you pull out some morning, you're driving along, you got your coffee in one hand, you shouldn't be doing this, you got your coffee in one hand and a muffin or a donut in the other and you're trying to drive, your hands are off the wheel and then all of a sudden that car starts pulling to the right. Why does it do that? Immediately you know what? The alignment is off. There's the human predicament, friends. Our alignment is off. We go if left to ourselves, we go a certain way. We are inclined a certain way. And that way is known as self-love. That is what makes the heart desperately sick. But there's more to the text. What is it? The heart is deceitful above all things. There's a little book called The Screwtape Letters, written by C.S. Lewis many, many years ago. And in this book, you have uh, Lucifer and these apprentice demons whom he is training to go out and to deceive individuals and nations. And he asks these apprentices who are in training, look, if you go out to deceive, what will you tell people to mislead them? to deceive them into following you, to deceive them into ignoring the gospel and the way of salvation. And one demon stands up and says, here's what I will tell them. There is no heaven. And Lucifer says, go and you will deceive many. The second says, I will tell them there is no hell. Oh, go, you will deceive even more. And the third says, I will go and tell them there is no hurry. To which Lucifer replies, go and you will deceive millions. I think Lewis is on to something there. I also think he misses something. For decades ago, today, I think the greatest lie, the greatest diabolical lie that rings in people's ears today that damns millions is this. There is no problem. Most people refuse to acknowledge there's a problem a serious problem that our heart being desperately sick, we are accountable to a holy God, a God who requires of us that we love Him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And yet corrupted by this principle of self-love, we are incapable 
of fulfilling what God requires and demands of us. Oh, those of us who are believers, having been born again, what is our condition now? Well, we know that we do love God now. The Spirit of God has implanted in us, has implanted in us now this principle of love for God. But Christian, you know it as well as I do. That love of self, that principle, love of self, has not gone away. It's still alive and well. And the great dilemma now as a Christian is what? That we have these two semi-intact motivational systems in us. Love of God and love of self. Hence the need for this prayer. May the Lord direct your hearts. Hence the need for daily divine intervention whereby God Himself hears and answers this prayer and aligns, realigns our hearts each and every day, whereby we are governed by this great principle of love for God. And that brings me, interestingly enough, to observation number three. What is it? The Lord directs our hearts to the love of God. And so look at what Paul says, may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God. And so may God remove those impediments, may God get out of the way those obstacles. Yes, having been born again and yet being so susceptible still to the flesh and being so susceptible to that self-love which just rears its ugly head time and time again, here is the great need, our desperate need, for the Lord to daily direct our hearts to His love. Oh, may He direct our hearts to the love of the Father, God the Father, who set His love, according to what Paul says in Ephesians 1, who set His love upon us before the foundation of the world and unchangeable, and unassailable, and unalterable love, the love of the Father for His people in eternity. Oh, may He direct our hearts to that love. May He direct our hearts to the love of the Son, the love of Jesus Christ, who came into this world to reveal that eternal love, who offered Himself up as a payment for sin upon Calvary's cross, who loved us and gave Himself for us. The wonderful little poem, just a stanza penned centuries ago by a famous hymn writer. It goes something, something like this. Upon a life I did not live. You know this one. Upon a life I did not live. Upon a death. I did not die, another's life, another's death, I stake my whole eternity. It is the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it is the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it is His substitutionary life and His substitutionary death, He who became sin for me, whereby I might become the righteousness of God. And as the Lord Jesus lived that perfect life, and as He died that substitutionary death, there we have the revelation, the declaration, the manifestation of the love of God. Oh, may He direct our hearts to the love of the Father. 
May He direct our hearts to the revelation of that love, the love of the Son. And may He direct our hearts to the love of the Spirit who testifies to the reality of that love. Because as Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 5, the love of God has been poured out where? The love of God has been poured out in our hearts. How? By the Holy Spirit whom He has given to us. And so yes, the Father loves us with an unchanging love. And yes, the Son reveals in time the magnitude of that love upon Calvary's cross. And the Spirit in time when He enters into our hearts, He pours out that love. He testifies to the reality of that love. And so you imagine just for a moment, somewhere around here, someone's ranch, dad and son are out for a stroll, and little Tommy's only three years of age, and they're out for a walk along the path among the cedars, and suddenly, without warning, dad picks up Tommy, three years of age, just embraces him in this huge bear hug, taking his breath away plants this wet, sloppy kiss on his forehead. He can still get away with it. He's only three years of age. And then he whispers in his ear, I love you, son. Here's the question. Has Tommy at that moment acquired any new knowledge? Not acquired any new knowledge. But in that moment, he knows the love of his father in a special way, does he not? He always knew his dad loved him. His dad takes care of him. His dad protects him. His dad provides for him. His dad disciplines him when necessary. Tommy knows his father loves him. Oh, but in that moment, he is now knowing that love in an experiential way. It is the love of God poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Oh, may the Lord direct our hearts that daily need direction to the love of God, to the love of the Father, to the love of the Son, to the love of the Holy Spirit, whereby we are overwhelmed by divine love, whereby we are compelled by divine love, humbled by divine love, strengthened by divine love. Or as Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 3, and Dalen took us there earlier, may you have strength to comprehend. May you have strength. You're going to need it. May you have strength to comprehend what is the breadth and depth and height and width of what? The love of God. A love which surpasses knowledge that we might be filled up to all His fullness. That, my friends, is observation number three. Here's observation number four. The Lord directs our hearts to the steadfastness of Christ. And so back to our little prayer, I'm just lifting it straight out of there. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. I love that English word, steadfastness. Just conjures up all sorts of mental images, doesn't it? One that comes to mind because I just saw the documentary a few months ago. It concerns this lighthouse that was constructed on this tidal 
island just off the north coast of Scotland. A tidal island meaning what? That when the tide goes out, you can see the rock. It's visible. But when the tide comes in, it hides the rock from view. It's just a few feet lurking beneath the surface. And so for six or seven hours a day, the rock is visible. The rest of the day, hidden. By the end of the 1700s, it was responsible for 10, 11, 12 shipwrecks every year. Finally, the government got its act together and said, we need to put a lighthouse on that island. And it is an engineering feat and wonder because they could only work five or six hours a day. They couldn't work in the dead of winter. But over a series of years, they finally constructed this lighthouse, Bell Rock Island. Here we are nearly 250 years later, and the lighthouse still stands, steadfast, immovable, unshakable. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ, His immovability, His dependability, His reliability. Oh, what steadfastness in the face of opposition, whether it was the scribes or the Sadducees or the Pharisees. What steadfastness. In the face of temptation, when the devil himself came to him in the wilderness with those heinous suggestions, what steadfastness as he daily encountered rejection, open rejection on the part of those whom he had come to save. No, but far eclipsing that, friends, what steadfastness as he himself declares, I have set my face as a flint. What is a flint? It is that piece of metal. You strike the iron against it and the sparks. A flint is set. A flint expects to be struck. I have set my face as a flint. I have set my face to be struck. What's he speaking of? Calvary's cross. And what steadfastness as he sojourned here on earth with one goal but one goal in view, Calvary's cross. Oh, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, steadfastness. Oh, my friend, I don't know what you're wrestling with, instability from unsettling circumstances, perhaps. We live in revolutionary times, don't we? Who knows what's coming in the years ahead? Overwhelming temptations. It is an increasingly decadent society we find ourselves in. Crippling disappointments. Life not turning out as you planned. Problems you never foresaw. Illnesses you could never have imagined. And grief that you can barely get out of bed in the morning and face. Oh, the need for steadfastness. For our hearts to be led, directed to the steadfastness of Christ. We can be steadfast because He was steadfast. And the Spirit of God is now reproducing in us that Christ-like character. And He strengthens us. He enables us. He imparts patience and endurance. 
And for the joy that is set before us, we endure the crippling losses. We endure the mounting problems and obstacles of living in a fallen world. We remain steadfast in the face of suffering and whatever suffering might come our way. My friends, that is observation number four. And here it is. We wrap it up. You didn't think we were going to get there. We are now there. Observation number five, the Lord hears our prayer. When you're a good Bible student, you're looking back at that prayer, verse five, may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. And you're thinking to yourself, how is he going to get that fifth observation out of that verse? I just don't see it. This is really going to be a stretch. We'll go back to verse three. Go back to verse three. What's the opening statement? But the Lord is faithful. May the Lord, the Lord who is faithful, direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Those of you who have been around the church for any amount of time, you remember that story, don't you, of the children of Israel coming up out of the land of Egypt and they've crossed the Jordan, and they're in the wilderness, and they're on their way to the promised land. And the Amalekites, isn't it? They come out to fight, to wage battle with the Israelites. And Moses, up he goes on the mount. And while his hands are lifted up, the Israelites prevail. And the moment his hands begin to sink, the Amalekites prevail. Aaron is on one side, Ur is on the other. They grab hold of his arms, they lift them up, and we read that his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. What has that got to do with faithfulness? Absolutely everything. It's the same Hebrew term. To be faithful is to be steady. To be steady is to be faithful. It is to be dependable. Oh, the Lord is faithful. He who has promised to complete that work which He started in us. We have every reason to be confident that He will direct our hearts to His love and to the steadfastness of Christ Jesus. How did the old hymn writer put it? The, the, the work which His goodness began. Is that how it goes? The work which His goodness began, the strength of His arm will complete. His promise is yea and amen, and never was forfeited yet. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God, my friends, and to the steadfastness of Jesus Christ. Our Heavenly Father, this is indeed our simple prayer, our heartfelt prayer this day commensurate with the needs of each one gathered here. Or for the unbeliever, may there have been something that by your Spirit you will speak to them, showing them their sin, their need of the Lord Jesus Christ and for your people gathered here in your presence. We do pray that you would visit us from on high, that you would renew our strength, that you would enlarge our faith, that you would strengthen our hope. And may you accomplish these good things according to your good plans and purposes for us. And we ask it in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
Let's all stand together and respond to the word of God.